0: Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode, I interview Rob Durden of Political Fight Club. He is a Marxist, an independent thinker, a revolutionary, and a concerned citizen. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Thanks for listening. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. Oh, 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 oh oh, 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 oh necessary illusions
1: hey what's up man thank you for having me
0: so you're the host of political fight club tell us about that
1: uh yeah so political fight club is just when um 2021 started right after biden got elected i used to listen to a lot of leftist commentators who i thought once uh Biden got elected, I was kind of in not really into politics, but certainly mm-hmm. once Biden elected, I kind of wanted some of the progressives that I had a lot of faith in to like get us, you know, health care and stuff like that. I was kind of hoping that the commentators that I listened to routinely would kind of push them to do the right thing. And all of these commentators i listened to for about a decade, and they were talking about things like, you know, universal health care, uh, free college, stuff like that. And I noticed something that happened right as soon as Biden got elected and they had uh, a majority is that all of those progressive commentators and some of the people I had faith in in Congress suddenly like gave up all of their principles and stopped trying to push for those things. So I I got I had like a an awakening where I came up with a political fight club to basically like do what I thought those commentators were going to do but neglected to do, which was come out and try to convince people to convince Congress to do things, but it's more than that. It's the idea behind it there's eight rules just like normal fight club The rules for Political Fight Club, though, are all based around having good political conversations, like the first rule of Political Fight Club is just talk politics with your neighbor, you know, talk politics with anybody that'll talk politics with you. And then the other rules are based upon just coming to every political conversation in good faith, which I noticed that none of these commentators, including mainstream media, but even some indie media were really... They don't come to conversations trying to share ideas in an honest way. They come at it from a partisan way where they they're trying to sell you Democrats or Republicans and they work backwards from the conclusion of the team that they're playing for. So like some of the other rules of political fight club are admit when you're wrong, know your opponent, which is not just the opponent you're debating or having a conversation with, but more like know what you're trying to combat with your rhetoric. For me, that is capitalism that is imperialism. So like uh, another one is, you know, keep your emotions in check. Don't sell out. Those are the things that I'd like commentators to do to maintain their honesty. So basically like the idea was just, I tried to wrangle in as many people, other commentators to kind of follow those rules and work independently, but also kind of cross pollinate and work behind the scenes together to create like an independent news network that had a bunch of little different commentator nodes that didn't depend on each other other than just for you know exposure and stuff like that and promotion but they don't have to cater their ideas to any other commentator so therefore we would kind of build like this this independent news network that was like a parallel institution to the mainstream media with the idea of kind of replacing it so like the idea was just kind of if we have all of these commentators agree to drop uh stop the circular firing squad and attacking each other over nonsense stuff and trying to work together. What we could do is we could build an institution that would put the mainstream media out of business. So PFC was just kind of like a framework. And the idea was that I would tell all of these commentators to try to come to every conversation in good faith. And if we can agree to those rules, we'll have good conversations with lots of viewers that'll kind of spread like wildfire. And then personally, my, my channel, I also try to like do the news, but also recruit and try to convince other people to do commentation following those rules. So I kinda like try to convince people that maybe are too afraid to do their own commentary or do memeing or write their own music that will help all of this come to fruition to actually get into it, to get involved, to work with us. And that's how I see myself in this whole scheme of things. But long story short, I wanted to create or help create an independent news network under the guidelines of PFC to kind of help people have honest conversations with the goal ultimately of building a network that would kind of phase out the way that people get their media. Now let's get our media from independent people. that are actually normal working people instead of those corporate elitist pricks that are just, you know, taking orders from up on high. That's the idea.
0: So you, yeah, I mentioned it. Good faith. So I kind of, in my, this is a lot of fun by the way, cause I started my own, podcast just a few weeks ago. I think this is my fifth or sixth episode already. It's a lot of fun. I, I had no idea. I'm glad I started. It's a fun hobby. But anyways, I want to get to good faith here. Uh, you know, not, not to have an agenda, not to be partisan. <clears throat> I think in my, um, in my uh, little trailer thing, I, I initially said that I'm going to br- bring a radical leftist approach to the media and I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, and I like, I quoted Howard Zinn, you know, you can't stay neutral on a moving train. So I think that I am very partisan. I look at it as, as a, a radical leftist, uh, a dissident, someone that wants change. And that's kind of the, the way that I go into this program and probably any political conversation or interview I do. So what do you think about that? I mean, am I coming into this? Am I disobeying your rules as coming from a radical leftist approach with an agenda. I guess my, my agenda is I want to present an alternative view to the mainstream uh, presentation of the world. You know, they present a very specific um, kind of world to us. Um, and, of course, the media or corporations themselves. They're selling audiences to other businesses for advertising dollars, Um so it's very corporatized um, view of the world, and I'm trying to present maybe a more working class view of the world—a world where I don't think we need arbitrary governments. I'm an anarchist; that's how I identify. That's how I identify. And as well as I don't think we need um, borders. I think we need an internationalist, you know, type system—a uh, world of class-conscious people coming together for common goals like solidarity, freedom, democracy, justice, all that, all that good stuff. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, yes, I do. And you're not uh, breaking any of the rules. And th- the idea is PFC itself is nonpartisan. Everybody, as long as you follow the rules of good faith, arguing and debate, you're included. It doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum. But I myself, I'm like you, I'm far leftist. I'm a Marxist-Leninist with I- – I tend to, on my good days, lean towards anarcho-syndicalism, um, but definitely a Marxist-Leninist, so far left and I will in every argument and every debate that I have in every conversation, I will tell you how I feel and argue my points as best I can, but I don't make that like a rule. And the idea is that if everybody comes to every conversation, all commentators agree to those rules. I think that if we duke it out long enough and we really explain our points of view thoroughly and listen to each other, that far leftism actually will win out as the dominant point of view, the more we talk about it. So like, individually I am definitely far leftist and I always argue for those points, but I don't make that like a rule for joining the club. I include everybody. And I made that, that was a decision I made very deliberately because when I was writing the rules, it occurred to me that I could just create something that's like a group of uh, lefties that are all going to talk to each other about leftist stuff. But then I I figured that's just creating an echo chamber. So I'd rather just make it nonpartisan entirely, but I myself am certainly not partisan. So, but I, I want to include everybody because I, in my personal life, especially since starting PFC, I follow my own rules and I engage a lot of people in my personal life in these types of conversations. And I found that it's easy to convert people that consider themselves righties. Uh, it's also easy to convert, convert people that consider themselves neoliberals, um, though they're they're a little more difficult, but that 's why i don 't exclude anybody because when you actually sit down and you kind of cast off those labels you 'll find that you actually do have a lot more in common with people than you than you really realize, and a lot of people they kind of mislabel themselves they don 't really quite really know what they are, especially in america we 're not really good with labels, so I want to um, not demonize anybody and not exclude anybody from the fight club if you want to come and have a conversation you consider yourself a MAGA republican or even more like uh, an establishment republican like a mitt romney style yeah i'm going to talk to you and i'm going to try to convince you that my ideas are better and the idea is is the more that we talk the more that we get in these fights so long as we don't do ad hominem attacks and don't um you know attack each other on baseless crap and we don't get this is another thing don't get um swept up in the culture war stuff that is just a distraction in my opinion that we're actually going to find that we have a lot more in common than we don't and that's what i found over the three years of doing this is almost everybody i talk to libertarians in particular and i have a lot in common Um, anarcho-syndicalists and i have a ton in common and uh, i find it actually pretty easy to convert people as long as you make sure that you're keeping your emotions under control and actually talking to somebody and listening to them instead of just waiting for your turn to try to dunk on them The way that I see it is conversations are not something to be won. There's something to be learned from. And in this country, we do too much of trying to like dunk on people with one liners, stuff like that. It's more like let's actually sit and have a respectful conversation and we'll both learn from it. And if you can do that in front of a viewing audience of hundreds or thousands, then you'll really start to find out where people stand. So that's the, that's the idea. And of course, you know, building an indie news network, which we've already done. I'm part of the INN, which is the indie news network right now. We have 26 comment uh, commentators and memers and uh, content creators. We all do that exact same thing. And um, those people all kind of follow the rules. I, I'm friends with a lot of them. They didn't agree to follow the rules. They just happen to be the type of people that don't mind talking to everybody. So we're kind of building it on the fly. And I'm hoping that it takes hold that would be sweet if we could finally have some honest conversations in this country
0: hey so i'm getting a little feedback on your mic is it, are you getting some feedback okay. on my mic
1: i am not okay. um but i can i'm just using an old uh, ps4 mic okay i'm just getting a little um, so feedback. let me let me see if i can turn it down a little bit i'll leave it there and i'll kind of keep my voice down a little bit and see if that works a little better is it is it
0: improved yeah, definitely a little bit improved. I'm just getting a little feedback after you speak, but yeah, awesome points. Um, I come at uh, I, I I guess I kind of want to talk about your because um, you said you you know you followed some maybe some mainstream news shows and they were a bit disingenuous. You know, they're kind of um, you know rooting for the party team. You know, we're very critical. You know, or Democrats, or whatever, left leaning. We'll even say whatever the so called left. You know, they call themselves left. Uh, You know, very critical when Republicans are in power and uh, Republicans in the White House. But then all of a sudden, the tunes kind of change a little bit when there's a Democrat in the White House, especially a corporate Democrat, a mainstream Democrat like Obama, like Biden, who is not progressive, not very progressive whatsoever. Um, The Biden White House has not uh, had any call for... Um, changing the healthcare system in the United States—it's—it's it's not a healthcare system. It's a—it's a national embarrassment. It's a disaster. Um, Spending—you know—I think at least two times more per capita for healthcare than any other country in the world. I saw Canada, uh, which has better outcomes. It's, we spend four times as much as, as Canada does. But again, yeah. And then in terms of the student loan forgiveness, uh, you know, they were talking about fifty thousand dollars and. And then all of a sudden they get in there and, up oh, you know, the Supreme Court overturned it. I know they're kind of going a different route, but, uh, you know, more drilling permits uh, than the Trump White House um, started another potential uh, proxy war that could develop into a um, world war. So from a radical leftist perspective, um, yeah, I'm not seeing – I'm not seeing uh, – all that much to be, you know, happy about with the Biden uh, administration and the Biden presidency. Uh, but the, the mainstream media, the way they're presenting it, is you know he's doing a lot of great things, you know. And I guess I kind of wanted to talk about again your history and kind of the way maybe your political views have changed. And uh, yeah, I was kind of radicalized maybe after the Obama White House and. Everyone was all jazzed up. Uh, I remember Occupy Wall Street was one of the first things that I, a big political movement that I was really you know interested in, and I thought that was pretty cool. And I started to you know kind of get more deeply into following politics. I think uh, I can kind of consider myself an independent that would mostly you know vote Democrat, um, but yeah, over the over the years I've. Kind of evolved and changed my views pretty significantly. Got really big into reading political philosophy, and I'm a big Chomsky head. I love reading Noam Chomsky stuff. Uh, I have the Rudolf Rocker book. Uh, you talked about anarcho syndicalism. It's sitting a few, min- a few feet away from me right now. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't really met too many anarcho syndicalists, but that's that's pretty much my my um, that's best describes my political views. Is I, I in terms of my anarchist beliefs, I just believe uh, believe in opposing. Unjust hierarchy, domination, unjust, unjust uh, power systems, illegitimate power systems, and I don't really think that that's radical. You know, I think we should all, uh, all all people should have some anarchistic uh, tendencies. We should always, uh, we should always challenge authority. We should always, you know, look to um, abolish unjust hierarchy and unjust power systems, and we should want a society where people are able to. Uh, freely associate with others and, um, and a society that maybe inspires or uh, encourages, um, you know, self-development and creativity and not some sort of society of wage slavery where we're working for a master for most of our lives. You know, maybe it's uh, temporary. So chattel slavery is, is that's the only difference between, in my opinion, you know, chattel slavery and wage slavery. Uh, you know, it's it's temporary. You know, we we don't work forty, we don't work twenty four seven, three sixty five, and some people even hope to retire someday. But essentially, we're under external command from a master, um, being forced to produce widgets or services, um, basically for subsistence. You know, the means to survive, the means to have housing and clothes and shelter and water and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I would say I was radicalized somewhere um, after during the Obama presidency when all this hope and change stuff was kind of floating around. And then he got in the white house and it was business as usual. And then, you know, the occupy wall street and the bank bailouts and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, even after the public bailed out the, the, the banks and the greedy bankers and, you know, saved the economy again, as socialism does every seven years. Um, not long after, you know, the, the banks were bigger, more powerful than ever and getting their six figure, seven figure bonuses again. So I think I kind of, That kind of radicalized me that, wow, this guy had a lot of hope and change and great rhetoric, um, but in the White House, not much different than I don't think a McCain presidency or a Romney uh, presidency would have been.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, And I was in – School when the crash happened under Obama and I wasn't really into politics, but when I got out of school, I think the crash happened under Bernie Bush was, and Obama got in the White House. Yeah, and and then Obama of, took yeah, over and then right. he kind of bailed out. But then, I mean, the housing crisis as well, he kicked uh, millions of people out of their homes and Obama actually got away with a lot of things that even McCain wouldn't have. And that's kind of the the sneaky thing that the Democrats do is that the Republicans get away with like overt war mongering and bailing out wall street but then you know obama gets in there and he bombs places like somalia or bombs any place that has black and brown people but he gets off the hook because he himself can hide behind identity politics and say oh his his, his defenders will all say oh he can't be racist he can't be blowing up brown people across the planet he's a black guy so they uh in a lot of ways get things done clinton did the same thing you know, there's no way that Bush would have been able to get, you know, NAFTA done. There's no way that certain things that happened under Clinton could never have happened under Republicans because they're under intense scrutiny all the time. Now, the Republicans, they're just kind of just overt with everything that they do. But the Democrats, they slyly kind of set a pick and do a pick and roll with the Republicans, which they get all the other stuff done that the Republicans can't on their off years. So what radicalized me was a little bit later, uh, the Bernie movement really got me involved but then seeing him cheated in 2016 and then again in 2020 that really made me realize that there was no going through the democratic party to get any of the things i wanted you know like healthcare for all um education stuff like that uh reducing the wars stuff like that And then the thing that really put me over the edge is I donated to a lot of the progressives in the progressive caucus now. They're called the squad. And I once I saw them get into a majority when Biden came to office, there was a slim majority in uh, the House of about five votes and the squad members were about seven or eight. And so what they could have done to extract power and get a lot of concessions from Biden and the other senators and whatever is they could have done Tea Party tactics, which is what the Freedom Caucus did uh, under the previous administration, and they basically drove House Speaker John Boehner to alcoholism, because what they said was, we're not going to allow anything to pass because we have that that majority and we're just going to kill everything that you put up to get our votes to make sure everything passes under this slim majority. You have to give us concessions. So the squad could have done the exact same thing to Nancy Pelosi. But the first thing that they did when Biden took over and they had a majority was they could have extracted concessions from Pelosi for their votes to nominate her as Speaker of the House. And one of the you know, plays out of the DSA playbook was trying to get a floor vote on Medicare for all by withholding their votes in that slim majority so that Pelosi wouldn't have gotten her speakership and they didn't do it. So immediately I start to go, oh my goodness. And this is right around the time I started PFC, like a week or two later. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I thought I started this show to kind of push these people to do the right thing. And I immediately saw that they weren't going to take advantage of all of their advantages right there and and then. So what I got really radicalized by was the first whole season, the first whole year of PFC was basically me just pointing out all of the missteps of the squad, not utilizing their power to get extractions from the Democrats who had a majority. And that goes for executive orders as well. Not Not a lot of this stuff even had to go through Congress. All they had to do was say, listen, Joe Biden. If you want some of these bills that you want to pass, you're, you have to go through us because we have six or seven votes. And a lot of these are going to be down party lines. So if you want those bills to pass and not be shot down every single time, you're going to give us some executive orders. And there's some things you can do via executive order. You could have given Medicare for all via Section 1881 Alpha, the Social Security Act during COVID. Because if you have an environmental hazard, according to that clause that covers up a whole country or a city, or even a state, you can have executive order, give everybody Medicare for all during the, um, the duration of that executive or of that uh, hazard. They didn't do that. You could also have things like,
0: and that gets into um, the public consciousness. Forget- I mean, maybe, maybe uh, it would go away, you know, it'd be just for a short duration, but it would be part of the public consciousness. It would be covered and it would be like, wow, that was pretty cool. We had healthcare in a, in a functional system for extended period of time why don't, why don't we push for this always? You know what I mean? Just to, even if some of these political yeah. moves and tactics might be short lived just to try different things out and to get it, um, on the, on the political consciousness to get it, um, you know, covered by the mainstream media. Cause they're the agenda agenda setting media. But, um, yeah, I think that, uh, obviously you know, it's just business as usual. I mean, just getting, I think it's worthwhile even even if we know these bills are doomed to fail. I think it's at least worthwhile to get the vote out there. So at least maybe someone that hadn't heard about, heard about it, you know, maybe looks into it and researches it. Even if it's just a handful of people uh, over time that can kind of add up. You know, I think, I think part of the political revolution that I'm looking for would be a nonviolent, populist, bottom-up type revolution. And I think we start with that through education and um I think you had mentioned that I wanted to get to you're you're building a network uh an independent news media you know network um that's going to function outside the system um and I think that's fantastic and I think people like us with maybe radical views or dissident views um we don't have much of a place within the you know within the washington consensus within the system uh but I think if uh, a revolution is actually ever going to happen and I really hope it I hope it does I I, I, sometimes I get, um, you know, I think it's optimism of intellect or pe- pessimism of intellect, op- optimism of will. Like, we got to hope this happens. We got to we gotta keep trying, you know. But it's sometimes, uh, I don't know, talking to like hippies and, you know, progressives from the 60s and 70s. They were talking about all the same stuff and it still hasn't happened yet. You know what I mean? But it doesn't mean we can't. Keep pushing for it. We can't keep trying. But I think if a true bottom-up populist revolution is ever going to take place, a working class, you know, hopefully driven, um, you know, proletarian driven, if you want to use some Marxist terminology, which I am not a Marxist. I'd like to maybe talk about that a little bit. But if we're going to – if we're ever going to get that, we're going to have to operate – Definitely outside the system, which I'm trying to do here with this podcast, and as you're trying to build your independent news network, we got to do some things inside the system too. We're gonna have to have some bills passed. We're gonna have to have some local pol- um, We're gonna have, to have some local power in politics. We're gonna have some state power in politics. We're gonna have to have senators and Congress members, and maybe one day even the White House. And that's so far away. But I think if a true re- revolution is going to happen, it has to be done within. The system as well as outside the system to help you know spur it on and educate people and get new ideas out there that of course the agenda setting or mainstream corporate media don't want us to hear don't want the population to hear they want to they want to keep the population ignorant uh through a deluge deluge of lies misinformation and propaganda they want to you know They basically control opinion and get the message out there of the preferred uh, way of life for the capitalists and the ownership class. And that's business as uh, usual, you know, keeping keeping the establishment in the working order, um, you know, keeping the capitalist machine running.
1: Yeah. Um, And yeah, to your first point, um,
0: if we had just
1: given Medicare for all, even if it was just for covid and it were to end, it'd be almost impossible to take it away. So like, you you know, there'd be an uprising if you give people Medicare for all for like two years and then you try to take it away from everybody, there'd be riots in the streets. So that was the point is like, even if you just got it for COVID, chances are you probably would get it permanently. And if it got taken away, it'd be immediately given back pretty quick because there'd be rioting. Like
0: the the pensions in France or, you know, the pension age, they wanted to raise it two years, which would, would still be much lower than Americans. We potentially, many of us will never retire but um, there's one thing to never give us something and we don't have that taste. But the French, who are professionals at rioting and protesting, try taking something away from them, you know, and the same for Americans. If we would have something that works and that we people like and there's, and they try to take it away from us, I think there's much greater chance of widespread popular protest than there would be for, hey, Medicare for all, you know, how about, how about you vote on it? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, which is exactly why they didn't do the executive order and exactly
0: why I was angry that the squad didn't try to
1: force it publicly because they they have a big enough following or did two years ago uh, to get some media behind it, you know, force Joe Biden's hand. They didn't do that. Um, But as far as your point is building something outside of the system and the Indy News Network. My main goal, like one of the rules of Political Fight Club is know your opponent. And I told you earlier that my opponents are essentially capitalism and imperialism. I want to destroy those two things. But my immediate opponent and the point of PFC, my personal show, is actually to try to destroy propaganda and to expose propagandists for their lies because I understand – that the best thing that can happen right now to actually spur on a revolution is simply to break this like hypnotizing, mesmerizing apparatus that is the propaganda apparatus that the West runs—the multi-billion-dollar-year propaganda. Apparatus. So does
0: Russia. Russia, of course, has a propaganda system yeah, as well. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, every yeah, country. And, and of I would course, like to get right. rid
1: of all corporate propaganda, period, because you don't want corporate. But there could propaganda. be state propaganda
0: too. State propaganda coming directly from government, right?
1: yes yes indeed and 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 ideally, in a true democracy where your um the people that are running state propaganda are actually elected on a regular basis, and the the uh, elections are fair, state propaganda would not be so much propaganda as it is just the news but i i in this country, since I happen to be from a hyper capitalist country where the propaganda apparatus is largely formed by corporations who own the mainstream media. Um, I tend to that's my opponent. So what I try to do is whenever those people on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and then, of course, other commentators who are online, when they lie to try to promote the imperialist and capitalist narrative, I try to catch them and destroy that. And I try to get other people to do the same thing. So basically, you get like an independent apparatus that fact checks the propagandists made up of only like normal average Joe's. And if they all work together, they can keep calling out the bullshit. And what they will do is they'll break that hypnosis that is keeping us with the status quo. Because the the reason that they can get away with all this nonsense in Congress right now is because most people still watch mainstream media and they're – they don't know any better. They don't know that they deserve better. So they're kind of stuck in this hypnosis. I think that's changing, though. I think it's that, generational.
0: I think that our generation is. and the generation behind us are much more on social media. Uh, that might be good or bad, but it's much more decentralized. The Internet's much more decentralized. I think older generations are, are the ones still hypnotized by, you know, your CNN, your Fox News, and, you know, whatever else mainstream, you know, media uh, network there is. But I think that's I think that's changing, and I think... Partly for the better, for example, like I would say I, I almost rarely meet read any um, mainstream media, at least directly from the source. I pretty much get my media and, 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 and news on Twitter and, and Reddit. And um, honestly, I it's the same old, you know, uh, trap in, crap out kind of thing where I'm, I'm more into political philosophy. And uh, I like reading that kind of thing, and, and, and I'm focused on ideas. I consider myself a philosopher, so the truth, that's all you're talking about is the truth, you know, getting to the truth. And I think... That's part of what I want to do: get through the lies, the min- misinformation, the propaganda. I'm just looking for truth, you know. And um, the media is a giant filtering system, but it's not just the media, too. I mean, it's the educational systems, it's the state corporate state nexus. I mean, it's it's enti- it's the entirety of um, Western culture. It's, <laughs> if it was just the media, I think it would be um, you know simple. But I mean, any any business in any sector, you know, there's corporate hierarchies of uh, it's a class-based society. There's executives and the ownership class on top, and everyone else is kind of taking orders. And, in terms of the media, you have the agenda-setting media, who's kind of they're they're they what they're trying to do is really not necessarily um, tailor their views to the working class, but more so the the political elites, the people in. Uh, management roles, the people in editor roles, the people in, in lobbyist offices, corporate lawyer offices—you know that sort of thing. And I think um, it, it's we could have we could have a whole podcast on just the, the structure of the news. But I think part of the failure of the left is we don't we don't appeal to working class uh, voters as much. Like the Democrats left the the, the working class behind decades ago. So I, I think you said like average Joe's. But really what I'm looking for is just a working class view, uh, a leftist view. I'm looking for uh, truth. And, um, you know, I'm, I guess trying to – trying to like there used to be before, before you know, CNN and all that kind of stuff, there used to be like worker-run newspapers and, and media companies. But obviously with the capital uh, deregulation of the financial system, you know, capital – and I've, I read uh, some stuff yesterday about – I guess what State Street. I mean, just uh, State Street, um, Vanguard, and uh, the one? Yep. Yeah, BlackRock. They own like twenty trillion dollars in assets. These asset firms control everything, and in a capitalist system, money talks, and uh, that's how you get on the boards of these companies to make decision making and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think your idea, I think your idea is great, and, and that definitely would function. You know, specifically uh, about the media and debate and rhetoric. But it's an entire system starting, in, starting at grade school, you know, a filtering system. Like what happens in, 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 in school for dissidents and people that don't want to do stupid assignments. You get filtered out. You get labeled a problem, you know. People that ask difficult questions to the teacher, you get labeled a problem. You go to the principal's office as a class disruptor, you know what I mean. It's an entire filtering system from birth. And, of course, the media uh, is part of it. But it's much deeper than that. It's in Hollywood. It's in TV, Netflix. Part of that is inculcating attitude. It's not to give you tables and graphs and facts saying, here's the facts. It's to inculcate attitudes. Like your boss, whatever your boss says goes, you know, it's like, I wish I I didn't have to come in Saturday, but he's the boss or she's the boss. So I got to come in, you know, what what else am I going to do? You know, it's inculcating attitudes about foreign policy. Like, you know, Russia's bad. Communism's the enemy. You know, it's, it's, it's very deep, (laughs) you know, it's, it's in every facet of Western culture.
1: You're exactly right. And uh, if you want to read an interesting book, that's kind of like Manufacturing Consent, but it's it's a little bit different. It's called Inventing Reality by
0: Michael Parenti. And I, I've heard what I've, you're I've exactly been recommending this. Yeah, I've been recommending yeah. this book, so I need to check them out.
1: Yeah. So um, real quick, I'm just going to touch on um, your first point. Um, you're right about the older people being the only people that watch mainstream media anymore. And I've argued multiple times that that is the reason why the time is now to build this indie news network, because we're at like a paradigm shift in how people absorb their media. So right now is the time to build a truly independent news apparatus online, because then we'll win the youth. And then when the boomers kind of phase out, Mainstream media and cable news is done. So let's replace them with this parallel institution that is not bought out. Second point um, to what you're talking about. What you're talking about is the propaganda apparatus in America is so well-funded and so all-encompassing nowadays that it doesn't even have to manufacture – Yeah, it's not even that they have to manufacture consent anymore, because manufacturing consent is easy. You do that with the news and have people just kind of listen along to the talking heads on news. They have their fingers in everything, like you said, Hollywood video games call of duty is basically more or less written by the department of defense nowadays um for that's, instance the that's top an awesome top gun point. Maverick, yeah i didn't even think of it that way that, top I, that, gun maverick is literally yeah. there's a great article written by i think it's alan mcleod on midpress news that i went over recently where the, there's literally documents that show that in top gun maverick the dod not only wrote and okayed a lot of the script but they also okayed the actor choices they okayed um, the soundtrack I know they the first one was funded the,
0: by the DOD I think the first one's exactly right for, I don't know if the second one was but the first one literally got you know state funding yeah. It's a, literally, it's a propaganda It's a propaganda flick. Exactly lick.
1: right. And so you wonder, you you see that movie, and it almost won Best Picture. And it's not even a good movie. But you watch it, and I watched it too. And very I entertaining. It's I, I thought it was very entertaining. Exactly. It's like it's it was bullshit. designed in a it's lab, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it was designed in a lab. So the idea is, is that all of those, the really beautiful hues and the great shots and the really thrilling action scenes and the really pretty people... They all put that in there by design because the idea was is that there's a lack of interest in joining the Air Force in the U.S. So that's just one big propaganda stunt. But it's like it's all of those things. It's the media. It's the video games. It's the movies you watch, the songs you listen to. Everything that you see nowadays that has pretty lights in America is some form of propaganda. So what they've done is they've gone beyond manufacturing reality or uh, to manufacturing consent to actually manufacturing reality and culture. So uh, one of the things that you were talking about, like Chomsky's manufacturing consent, that absolutely still applies to nowadays where you can have some talking heads on like Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, trying to convince people that like a war is for freedom it's for the good of humanity or whatever we're defending some other country right but imagine nowadays there's a propaganda apparatus that's so well funded and so all encompassing that they actually could live in a world where you don't actually have to manufacture consent because you could create a culture that is so inculcated with propaganda that you don't have to sell wars because the people in that population already like war enough they think it's stylish and sexy so what you do is kind of like what we were talking about earlier is if you create movies like top gun maverick and gaming systems like call of duty that everybody goes to see and it makes war seem cool and it makes you sexy for being into it you can eventually create a culture that you don't even need to manufacture consent for because they already agree with everything that the state Or that the corporations want. So that's what scares me more than anything is that the propaganda apparatus of the 21st century that has the internet at its fingertips, but also has billions and billions of dollars to throw towards games, advertisements, uh, movies, television, everything that you see is... In some way manipulating the way that you see the world and if they can just inculcate everybody just completely everything that you see is propaganda getting you to think a certain way through technology and the internet eventually what they could do is they could create a culture that doesn't even need their consent manufacturer they just naturally all think the same way and that's where we're on. The track to and what scares me the most and what pfc is designed to destroy because i see that propaganda apparatus as the biggest threat to like our liberties and our freedom in this country it's like if everybody gets mesmerized and everybody's just on their phone all day long just absorbing all of this very subtle very sophisticated propaganda then we're up shit creek so pfc is it's the anti-corporate propaganda fighting machine And what I'm doing is I'm trying to recruit as many commentators as possible who can see through this to get their voices out there. I don't care what you believe. If you can see that this propaganda is nonsense and you can get other people to wake up, then that fighting force, that bunch of people working together as commentators gathering hundreds of thousands or millions or hundreds of millions of views can actually lift the veil. And if we can lift the veil, then People will start to wake up and then you're looking at revolution. So the idea for me has always been PFC is the ultimate fighting force that fights corporate propaganda because it's a bunch of independent people who kind of all agree on the basics, working together to try to replace the propaganda apparatus and get people to wake up. Because in my opinion, if you control the media, you control everything. So why not give the media to the people? Why not have the media
0: democratic be democratic control? Be- I think all institutions should be democratically organized and controlled by the public. Um, I'm an anarchist, so that means I I oppose uh, a large centralized state where decision making power is in the hands of an unaccountable bureaucratic and powerful class, like in the Soviet Union, at least in practice. Um, I think Marx talked about um, the uh, the what do they call it, the dictator of the proletariat. uh, Yep, dictatorship of the proletariat so i think that was figuratively you know that was figuratively like a a society run by the working class not literally a dictator that that's going to come in and and give orders and everyone else follows them you know at least that's the way i see it um but yeah that's in in terms of um with this ruling class once i wrote down some things here we got a lot to get to but conformity obedience Passivity. You know, they don't want independent thinkers. And I think that's what the education system is about instilling discipline, conformity, obedience, and filtering out. Problem. You know, problems and dissidents and subversives and people that are asking challenging questions like, why do we do it this way? Why are we three hundred trillion dollars in debt? Why is the banking system this way? Why is the banking system too big to fail? You know, why doesn't banks uh, lend to local communities and people's and people that are looking for housing and starting local businesses? Why are they more focused on you know betting against growth rates and currencies and foreign markets? What's that all about? You know, they're not they're not <laughs> into into fielding those types of questions. And I think another thing that the media does, uh, we talked about the mainstream media, like CNN networks like that on their shows, is concision. That's basically, you know, between two commercial breaks, you can't present information that challenges the establishment. Or you're going to, like, dissidents would look like um, you know, they, they look like they're from Mars or a different planet. Like if you would get on there and say something that Chomsky's wrote a lot about that every president, every post-World War II president, um, since Truman onward is a war criminal. If you went on Fox news and said that they would, uh, do some rhetoric and, and, uh, debating tricks. And then they'd. Go to a commercial break and come back, and you would look like a crazy person. They're like, "Who's what did that?" That person just say that every president since Truman's a war criminal. What you know? But uh, in a long form debate, uh, not debate, because I actually think debating is disingenuous. You know, I think we should have a conversation. Um, that, that's the way I, I view it. I think two people uh, saying, "I'm, I'm going to argue for this point," "You're going to argue for that point, and neither of us are going to come to any agreement. You know, we're just gonna we're gonna you know we're just gonna go at it. You know, for for two hours. I think what we're doing here is I'm listening to some of your ideas, you're listening to some of mine, and I'm changing, you know, the way I think about some stuff, you know, and hopefully you're doing a little bit of the same, or maybe you're like, this guy's an idiot, I can't wait to get off here, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's concision, you know. How much can you get in between two commercial breaks? Because, of course, we got to pay uh, the piper or whatever, you know what I mean? we got to get those ad revenues in. And between two commercial breaks, 90 seconds, you know, you can't get in a lot of, um, you know, background information and good argument and challenging the establishment and different points, all you can do is just repeat the party line, repeat the establishment Uh, I think propaganda um, or what do they say Uh, propaganda uh, the law of propaganda if you repeat a lie, I think that's Goebbels uh, in in Nazi Germany if you repeat a lie often enough it becomes fact and I also got this quote out because this has been my pinned tweet, I love this quote uh, as I was really getting a deep deep into Chomsky, this is one of my favorite quotes and a pinned tweet of mine that I've kept since I started my account. That's the whole point of good propaganda. You want to create a slogan that nobody's going to be against and everybody's going to be for. Nobody knows what it means because it doesn't mean anything. I love that quote. No Chomsky.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And, and um, I think... Part of what you're talking about right there, that's part of the reason that I think mainstream media is dying. It's more appealing to the average viewer to listen to two people who have opposing viewpoints, have a conversation, rather than listening to somebody who we know is a corporate propagandist owned by if you're on MSNBC, certainly owned by Pfizer and Big Pharma and all the other lobbying groups, just try to ram a narrative down your throat. That might be good for the boomers. But I think most other people realize that that's not a way to absorb information. And like what we're doing right now, rather than trying to dunk on each other or anything like that, I think conversations are much more enlightening and having people uh, actually exchange ideas and try to register what the other person is saying rather than debating. I think that's much more useful. And Incidentally, I, I think that that is part of the reason why um, podcasts like Joe Rogan is so popular is because he's not really debating anybody. He's just like you know, let's have a conversation, whoa, let's talk about it, let's see where it no goes. No
0: way, man! Yeah, throw some yeah. DDT so, in there. That's whoa, is that true? Wow. No, I'm messing around. I used yeah, to listen right. to Rogan too. I don't listen to him anymore. But you know, I'm that's probably a terrible. No, rogue and I don't and I don't listen to him either. But I,
1: as somebody that I kind of observe how media operates. And I look at the numbers of certain podcasts, and then I wonder why certain podcasts are popular and why others aren't. And it seems to me that part of the reason that Rogan gets – he gets 11 million viewers per episode, which is 25 times as much as the average primetime day of CNN. not even close. And it's like – and it's six times as much as the primetime numbers of Fox – pre-tucker carlson leaving and since he's gone their numbers have plummeted so why is that and my my answer is is that i don't think people are buying what these mainstream media outlets are laying down the format is garbage
0: the four it's not just it's it's definitely what they're selling too but the the format is garbage you you can't get on there and present the world in 90 seconds between two commercial breaks i think the podcast format is insanely popular everyone has you know a podcast everyone has a friend that has a podcast Uh, it's incredible i think this long form conversation is awesome and i think that this helped educate a lot of people and yeah i listened to rogan and all kinds of different podcasts and of course my changes and tastes uh drastically uh, evolved over time but yeah i think this media um this long form format stuff this podcast stuff this independent media stuff i think this is just the beginning i think we're getting it obviously you've been in it longer than me but this is this is a great time to be in this you know this whatever sector or you know Uh, platform, whatever, however you want to describe it.
1: Yeah, and, and imagine for a second if there were thousands or even millions of people like you and me who are just guys that think about this stuff and analyze it and really, like, think through our points, and we all agree to just have these conversations in front of audiences all the time. That media apparatus would essentially put the mainstream media apparatus the propaganda apparatus that i'm trying to fight out of business by beating it on the free market because it's much more watchable and people would like it more i think and they know it's not lying to them the same way that the mainstream media is so obviously lying to them i'd much rather take my information from some schmo in a regular t-shirt that's just doing research on his own that really thinks through and argues his points honestly than i would any button-up prick that's on any of these channels and i think that that's a new thing i think that the mainstream media has sort of phased themselves out in a big way by lying through a couple of big issues lately particularly the COVID narrative was they lied so much on so many different things that most people just that was the last straw but there were yeah, other things like to, the Russiagate stuff.
0: you weren't able to challenge um you weren't able to challenge these institutions like big pharma on you know the research or anything, you just had to take it. Now, I'm, a, I'm definitely not anti-vax or nothing like that. I'm in healthcare. Um, but I think asking challenging questions to these big pharmaceutical companies that probably confidence and, and uh, support uh, in is very, very low. But all of a sudden, we're just supposed to, you know, let them, um, you know, throw together some vaccines, force everyone to take it, make billions on it, which is a huge conflict of interest. And yet, nobody's allowed to ask challenging questions. And even the establishment, um, you know, the White House and CDC and representatives and whatnot. Um, any media that asked uh, a question that talked about research and um, you know, like legitimate medical things that you know, people like you and I who are both in the healthcare field are interested about. They kind of shut down and, and uh, resisted and, and, you know, they weren't transparent. You know, I think if we had more transparency, like I'm all, all about, um, I think vaccines are, are, are beneficial. I think that they have their limitations, but it obviously worked pretty well for polio. Um, But I think that uh, if we had a little bit more transparency, like trust in institutions and big pharma and corporations are at or near all time lows, but all of a sudden we were just supposed to expect the population to just, um, you know, put their trust in these institutions that for the most part we hate, you know, Um, I guess that's just kind of how conformity in the establishment works. You know, you just this 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 is this is the new agenda. Uh, you know, just go ahead and accept it and don't challenge it. And I think, again, I, for me, I thought the best, um, the best decision was to, you know, to, to take the vaccine. And, uh, but I think for other people that didn't think it was in their best interest, I don't think that they should have been forced or their consent should be manufactured or co- coerced. You know, if you want people to take a vaccine or a drug, I think that you should convince them to do it with research and, and, uh, talks and conversation and transparency, not, by uh, authoritarianism.
1: You're exactly right. And I I have a biomedical sciences degree and I'm a doctor, a a chiropractic doctor, but I have a biomedical sciences degree and I, my first YouTube channel, I still have it, but it got crippled during COVID because I would read um, meta-analyses on ivermectin. And then the reason that I really got in trouble is I actually got banned for a week or two weeks got two strikes in the same day for doing two videos talking about informed consent and body, bodily autonomy, ethically, you know, just talking about how, listen, and I'm vaccinated. I I got my vaccines, but I also went out and made my argument that you can't coerce. You can't force people to take the vaccination. People have the right to their own bodily autonomy. And I gave uh, the first video came out in the morning and it got, I got a strike. So I went and redid the video because at the end of that video, I talked about ivermectin for about two minutes. So I took the ivermectin part out because I thought that's what I got banned for. And so I reshot the video just talking about informed consent. And that video also got banned, and I, or I also got a strike, and I got banned immediately, even though I'm a biomedical sciences major. And all I was talking about is you can't coerce people into getting an injection, especially if it's experimental and hasn't been tested enough for you to give good informed consent. If I'm a chiropractor and I want to adjust somebody's neck, I have to have them sign consent just to adjust them, let alone what you would have to do for an an injection. So – in the end, what I ended up, that that YouTube channel got basically crippled during COVID because I talked about, A, meta-analyses that showed that uh, ivermectin was useful for early treatment and prophylaxis of COVID, but mainly most of the strikes I got were talking about informed consent. And bodily autonomy. So go figure, why is that? Because they were trying to manufacture consent for the jabs. And what they did was, they they did something really nasty they played on people's empathy by saying that the, the vaccines actually stopped the spread of COVID-19, which from the beginning, it was pretty readily apparent, especially later on that when you had a bunch of areas that got totally locked down and then you had high va- highly vaccinated countries that got the vaccine out pretty quickly, they were still having outbreaks. So we knew it was still spreading even among the vaccinated. So they lied. And what they did is they utilized, utilized people's empathy By saying, if you get the vaccine, it's for protecting all your family members, it's for protecting your friends that you come into contact with, that's why you're getting the vaccine. But I said from the beginning, listen, no, it's going to protect you by prepping your immune system so you don't have a severe reaction when you run into the wild type COVID. And I got banned for that as well, by the way, I I cited it up. In his, uh, I forget what study it was, a B- British Medical Journal article that shows that the vaccine waned. Yeah, that's waned. a
0: legit medical journal. You know, that's, that's, that's good science. I got, right? another
1: stri- I got another strike for that, for showing that um, uh, transmissibility and also the vaccines waned after about four months in their efficacy. So I, long story short, basically what they did is they played a nasty trick on people and made it seem like if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to kill people around you. And that's very nasty, and that's not exactly how it works, of course. That's the propaganda, that though. That's the propaganda.
0: That's exactly. To, there's no and, and, to support it. I and mean, there might be, there might not be. I'm not a virologist, and I'm not going to get deep in the weeds on this COVID, you know, vax stuff and all that kind of stuff, because I have it doesn't really interest me that much, and I haven't done enough research on it. But that's that's propaganda, basically, is to pre, pre, try to create something that everyone's going to be for, nobody's going to be against. Oh, if I get it, it's going to make everyone else safer. And I think, yeah, you kind of hit on it. It's going to... Prep your immune system, you know, so you if you get the COVID exposure, you're not going to get as sick, you're not going to be in the hospital, you're not going to go to the emergency room and you're not going to die. But there's so many other narratives that were tied together to try to convince people, you know, to get it. And I just think the transparency, the, the research, um, the data, you know, from, I think there was a lot of shortcomings with it.
1: Yeah. And so if they had just made that argument right there, which is the one I made, which is like, listen, this is how vaccines work. When people come into my office, if they asked me about vaccines, that's the spiel I gave them. And that's a spiel that I I learned in school. In chiropractic school, you actually do a fair bit of research and you take a long part of one of your classes, like two months to talk about vaccines and to do research on them. So that's what they kind of told me. And I'm like, listen, it preps your immune system. It makes you less likely to die. But I Never did I say that it's a force field, and that's how I always say to my patients, I'm like, listen, it's not a force field. It's not going to keep you from getting infected. It will lessen the symptoms more than likely, but you can still transmit it to other people, especially with an airborne virus, which we knew COVID was an airborne virus with a very high r naught value, which means it was very transmissible, as transmissible as chickenpox. So it's very unlikely that it's going to stop transmission, but that didn't stop the propaganda apparatus from going out and playing on people's emotions saying, listen, it does stop transmission so therefore you have to get it to protect people around you which is a much more effective way to get everybody to take it rather than just telling them the truth which is that it's for your own protection and that's a nasty trick because there were a lot of people that were in fact coerced into taking it that would have wouldn't have otherwise because they thought that they were protecting grandma and um the data never backed that up so i i saw right through it and of course i got i got like five strikes at least five strikes on covid videos to the point where I actually had to go back and I deleted 170 something episodes of mine because I was afraid they were going to go back and find other episodes where I was talking about that stuff and ban me entirely. They crippled my YouTube channel, which is why I now, I now do most of my stuff on Rockfin and Rumble. But I mean just going back to that's what the propaganda apparatus does. They're bought and paid for by Pfizer. Um so, you know, and Big Pharma is the biggest lobby group well, in the, the country so they get what they
0: want. The, the conflict of interest yeah. of making billions of dollars from taxpayer funding on a pandemic. Why would we want a healthcare system that allows for that? Uh, and One thing I wanted to say is, too, um, just my minimal knowledge on vaccines. I'm not a virologist. I'm also not a medical doctor. But, you know, medications, vaccines have side effects. So that was to be expected. You know, and I think that uh, there's a lot of underplaying of some of the side effects. It just happens. You know, no, no, no medication or vaccine is perfect. There's going to be side effects. So some people should, you know, Try to take that into consideration when they're choosing to or not to take the vaccine. And uh, again, I think there's a lot of underplaying maybe some of the health risks, especially in in a vaccine that was quickly developed and where transparency and research didn't seem readily available, at least from the start. And I think it's getting better now, though.
1: Yeah. And and we're finding out, and I've paid attention to this, but not as closely, but I've read multiple studies that show that particularly in young males, there was a lot more myocarditis that came out of nowhere. Athletes that were perfectly healthy before getting their vaccine suddenly are having cardiac issues right afterwards. So there's some, definitely some correlation there. Um, But I don't want to speculate where I haven't done a lot of research. All I know is that there is Legit research that shows that there's increased chances of cardiac and vascular events within two or three weeks after a booster where there might otherwise not have been so it's like you the, my point was always i was I never told anybody don 't get the vaccine I was like i 'm vaccinated i 'm going to go do it so i don 't get hospitalized by the by covid. My point was always you can 't coerce people that 's against bioethics bioethics one hundred one is you have to be able to give people informed consent. On things like vaccinations, and you can't give people informed consent on a vaccine that's so new that you haven't informed it enough, like you haven't studied it enough to know how to give informed consent. And that's what I got banned for. Can you imagine, you know, so, you know, it doesn't hurt my feelings because I was right. And in the end, you know, they may or may not, you know, allow my YouTube channel to flourish the way that it was for the first couple of months. But um I doubt that, you know, it is what it is. But at least I'm on the right side of history, because if it turns out there are a lot of like vaccine related injuries, which it seems to indicate there are gonna be a fair amount of vaccine related injuries. At least I was the one out there raising my voice and using my, you know, knowledge and my degree. Just awareness to try to
0: bring awareness to it. Yeah, nothing else. You know, I want to shift gears here a little bit. I don't wanna go off into the COVID weeds too much. Uh, I want to get back and talk a little bit about censorship. Uh, free speech which a lot of this these are free speech issues George Orwell talked about it um, uh, initially and I think Chomsky has wrote some excellent stuff on it but basically thought control is actually more so prevalent in democratic societies in democratic societies we don't have the government saying you can't say this you can't say that they're not even telling corporations and news anchors you can't say this you can't say that but there's a lot of self-censorship going on and the manufacturing of Manufacturing of consent, um, the, the I guess, persuasion, uh, thought control, uh, controlling the opinion. That's a lot more apparent and prevalent in democratic societies. In a totalitarian society, like, for example, Nazi Germany or in the Soviet Union under Stalin, you could have secret police rounding up people who do things that we don't want to do and we put them in concentration camps or the gulag. But what we see in democratic societies, because... Not that the federal government of the United States has no ability to carry out violence. We're a police state um, with uh, it tons and tons of um, violence and, and police homicides. I think we are near the top of the world in police homicides. We are at the top of the world in gun violence because of the crazy gun culture in the United States. But um, it's not—it's not because of the—I the, 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 guess—ability for the federal government to carry out violence is relatively limited. Compared to more totalitarian right-wing societies, and of course, the United States support, has supported and continues to support many dictators and um, harsh uh, autocrats and civil rights abusers throughout the world. But in general, America and you know most of Europe, relatively speaking, are again relatively uh, democratic societies where free speech. I mean, we do have a very free history. Uh, a very long history of free speech some of the best free speech um, rights in the world um, but um, there's the, the the reason that it works so well is there's the perception of freedom of press when it, it's anything but and again the elites in the agenda setting media um, you wouldn't make it to the role of a news anchor or editor at the New York Times if you weren't saying the right things you know so a lot of it is again not. There's definitely the corporate-state nexus, and there's definitely you know alliance and allegiance, allegiance there. But most of the uh, thought control was done via self-censorship in that filtering system, and not directly from the government or the White House or the Pentagon saying, "Up, oh, get this person off the air and put them in a gulag." You know that's not how things work here. But there's there's the perception of free speech, and there's the perception of freedom of the press, although. If you turn on four or five different news networks, you're hearing the same story over and over and over again. The only thing that changes is the faces.
1: Yeah, and I've talked about this multiple times on my show, and I also went on Revolutionary Blackout Network and pointed this out. The propaganda apparatus has two arms. One of the arms is spoon-feeding you their nonsense, which is the mainstream media. So they always boost that stuff, and they they have – one of the best propaganda apparatuses ever. But one of the things that isn't talked about as much is the censorship apparatus that works in tandem with that, which is uh, going after and destroying all of the truth and all of the people that are dissidents and they do that very well. So what they do is they'll, they'll smear you if you start telling the truth too much. You ever see somebody go super viral online because they have a correct but very inconvenient truth that they're spreading about the elites? They immediately have like this legion of Karens who are all kind of on the neoliberal payroll. And they all know what their role is. Their, goal is, their role is to go out there and shame that person into shutting up. So that's something that they do absolutely well. It's the censorship-industrial complex, and we know oh,
0: oh, that, the well, that the Democrats. That's great when I'm that the censorship-industrial complex, love it.
1: Well, it's actually not, my, it's not mine. Michael Schellenberger, who's an, um, he's a journalist who broke part of the Twitter files earlier, actually coined that. And it's because during the Twitter files revelations, we found out that the neoliberals, particularly the Democratic Party and the elites of the neoliberal class, they were uh, basically hand in glove working with the FBI to censor and deplatform anything that they didn't like on Facebook and Twitter during the last election cycle, and we have documentation of this. The uh, example that's going around that I used when I went to Revolutionary Blackout to make this point was, we know for a fact that the Hunter Biden laptop story, which got broken by the New York Post right before the 2020 election between Biden and Trump, as soon as that got broken about how Hunter Biden was in all these shady business deals and they were possibly linked to Joe Biden himself in Ukraine and also with a a Chinese company, Uh, that story broke at the New York Post a couple of weeks before the election. And what happened? The story immediately, you couldn't share it on Twitter. It immediately got taken down. You couldn't even send it as a direct message on Twitter. And the New York Post got locked out of their Twitter account until after the election. And then uh, on Facebook, that same exact story, it didn't get censored. It got uh, algorithm, algorithmically deboosted, and Mark Zuckerberg actually admitted to this on Joe Rogan's show. So this is the second part of the propaganda apparatus is not just them spoon feeding the masses their own bs it's also and this is equally important shaming and deplatforming and censoring true information and the information that i got dragged for on twitter was going on a big platform and talking about that hunter biden laptop story right as it dropped i saw glenn greenwald had actually resigned from the intercept for trying to drop that story and they wouldn't let him Because they said that it was too, you know, it might hurt Biden's chances, right? So he resigned. I looked into it and saw that his sourcing was legitimate so that the Hunter Biden laptop, even though Politico and a bunch of other mainstream media said that it was a Russian hack and dump, I checked the sources and it was legit. So I went out there and uh, on the Revolutionary Blackout Summit. I talked about that exact story, and I immediately I had a legion of Karens dragging my ass up and down uh, Twitter, calling me you know, every name in the book, calling me a conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat. And as it turns out, I've been completely vindicated. This is a huge story, and it's even bigger now because, as it turns out, a lot of people, according to polling, would not have voted for Joe Biden had they known a lot of the shady business dealings that are now coming out through the congressional testimony. Because this is going through Congress now. The Republicans have the House, so they're questioning you know, people around Hunter Biden are on this, this issue. So it was a huge story. And the reason I got attacked was not because I was wrong. It was because I was exposing and uh, trying to promote a very inconvenient truth to the neoliberal you know, status quo order. So uh, the hit was put out on me. I got dragged for a couple of weeks, whatever. My my followers went up, not down. But it was it was worth it because I was right. But that's the other arm of propaganda. It's not just spoon-feeding bullshit. Now Nowadays, they don't have to censor you or put you in a gulag. If they can destroy you in the court of public opinion by sending, sicking the Karens on your ass, <laughs> they're going to do it. And that's a good way to get you to shut up is by basically just shaming you and having... You know, thousands of people on Twitter or social media come after you and call you a bad person and dox you. I got doxed. I had people sending people, sending stuff to my boss at my work for that, for that showing that I did. Can you believe it? But that's the way that they operate nowadays. They don't have to uh, throw you in a gulag. All they have to do is shame you into oblivion. So unfortunately, you just have to kind of roll with it. If you're going to be a truth teller on social right. things media, things could be much worse. Take your licks. Yeah, you could be, yeah, right.
0: be in a gulag, a concentration camp. There, were, there are real consequences in some other countries, like uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, for speaking truth to yeah. power. You might get life in prison. You might get hacked up. You know. So the consequences yeah, yeah, get of speaking headed. the truth in American society. Um, you know, aren't great. And and the consequences, consequences are real. um, And we have to understand that, you know, for, for speaking truth or trying to get the truth out there. But we also have to understand that the the, the risks we face are much less severe than generations that have come before us and people right now living in other countries that aren't as democratically, or um, aren't as privileged as we are, frankly, you know,
1: yeah. And, and what I would say to content creators that are going to do the same stuff you you and I are doing is just expect that you're going to get attacked by dishonest actors. And here's the thing. Wear it as a badge of honor because you don't get attacked on mass unless you're onto something. So I always saw it that way. I was like, listen, I know I'm going to get my ass kicked on this if I break this story or if I r- report on this story. But my thing has always been like, if I get a big reaction from the right people, meaning the propagandists, if, if you're getting attacked and
0: called a conspiracy if, theorist. If we're getting attacked, we're, we're doing something right. If we're getting attacked by exactly. the then we know we're doing something right. We know we're onto something. Exactly. My, my whole shtick
1: was, and I've actually tweeted this before, if you're getting attacked and called a conspiracy theorist by known propagandists, you're onto something. So that's the way I always see it. And I always tell people, listen, you're going you're gonna to take your licks. But if you're, getting your, if you're getting the attack from the right people, it's a badge of honor. And that's how I've always seen it. So I don't really care if, if those disingenuous jerks that work for the propagandists come after me. All that means is that I'm telling enough truth. And if you're not telling enough truth, you're not getting attacked enough from those people.
0: So I want to be mindful of your time. We got maybe five more minutes to go. Um, but yeah, basically truth Censorship, free speech. That's an ideal I, I believe in strongly. I, f- I don't want to put really any limits on free speech. Uh, I'll listen to an argument, you know, about putting some limits on it, uh, like in terms of violence or hate speech. It have to be defined, you know, to me. I'm not sure. I think I hate speech sounds like a think tank creation But if you want to get specific about it, um, you know, we can talk about it, have a discussion. I believe in democracy, you know, as an anarchist, I think direct democracy is the best way to do things. There's a lot of people with different uh, opinions and whatnot on matters, important matters like free speech. Um, I don't think we can ever have direct democracy. There's just going to be little silly issues that we can't possibly all vote on. How many reams of paper and pens are we going to have at the courthouse? You know, I mean, we don't. why would we want to waste our time on that? So I think that ultimately there's always going to be deci- people in decision-making and powerful roles in society. I do believe a class uh, classless society is possible. But uh, I just want to get kind of – I know I'm running around here in a couple of different ways. But I just want to say, like, basically censorship, free speech, if we ever give that to – so, for example, social media companies, they have the rights of uh, censorship. They can do whatever they want on their platform. Whatever the executives and leadership team decides, they can censor content basically without any rules or laws. There's no rules or laws governing them, which I don't i, I don't agree with. I think that we should have democratic ownership of all workplaces, including Twitter. You know, I think Twitter is a, t- a town hall, and I think YouTube can be, too. These are val- – technology is neutral. You know, it just depends on who uses it and – It can be weaponized, you know, YouTube can be weaponized, like Facebook can be weaponized for disinformation campaigns and get right-wing, you know, opponents into the White House. And and it seemed like it did, you know, during the Donald Trump uh, campaign. Um, I I guess, uh, but yeah, free speech, to take that away and to give it to someone else, like a government or corporation, is basically giving them the power of truth. If there's something you're not allowed to say, then they're allowed to essentially have power over truth power over what you can say and i think that's bad for everyone involved
1: i agree with you 100 percent, and i am a free speech absolutist um i Not think like that the best people to... with
0: people with power and privilege might say they're for free speech but people of power and privilege never want free speech or democracy because it interferes with privilege i think when you and i say we're free speech absolutists i want as minimal restrictions on free speech as possible we mean it right
1: yeah, like for instance, if you, if somebody puts something on Twitter that says, um, "I'm a Nazi and I think the Holocaust was a good thing," do I think that should be taken down? No, I think I, that you I let don't. that I say oh, yeah, and let, let somebody say, let them get attacked. Let them say let them get
0: attacked. Right. Not not via violence. So, I don't believe in violence. No, no, no. I believe in violent no. political revolution. But I think a better mean, uh, a better way to uh, address that person is to ignore them. They want to say that kind of ridiculous stuff. Forget about them. They're 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 so far gone that I'm not sure education from people like us would even be appealing to them. They can they can go away for all I care. I'm gonna pay them no mind. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah. Either ignore them or engage them and try to convince them. Or here's the thing. You don't have to, when you're debating someone on a on a public space like Twitter, you don't have to convince them. You just have to convince the audience that's watching the conversation that you're right. So eventually they're going to look like the bad guy and you're going to look like the good guy. So over time, if you allow all of the really bad ideas to be up online and then you let all the good people with the good ideas come in to destroy that idea, you're accelerating the good ideas, beating the bad ideas. And if you take that idea down, you're not getting the conversation and you're not getting the audience and therefore the people to realize what the good ideas and the bad ideas are. So I'm, I'm for letting all of that stay up. And then have the people that have better ideas come in and crush it.
0: So the first way would be to democratically control, you know, Twitter and Facebook, whether the community owns yeah. it, the populace owns it, and we yes. can vote on these issues, or the workforce owns it, you know, but not Elon or some board of uh, directors or whatever that are just making tyrannical decisions, basically, uh, you know, reactionary decisions uh, based on what direction the wind is blowing. And I, I, I we only got a minute or so. The way I view free speech, and you can plug whatever you want, is if you believe in free speech truly, then you believe your political opponents and people that you disagree with are entitled to the same free speech as you are. So that's how I feel about free speech.
1: Me too, 100%. And uh, if you're a content creator and you like conversations like this, this is my PFC plug, man. Just get involved. It doesn't matter if you want to create content like this. You don't have to do your own show. You don't have to do a podcast. You can make music. You can create memes. But we need all hands on deck to create this indie news network. And if we all work together and there's thousands of us or tens of thousands of us to have these conversations and to fight the corporate propaganda apparatus, we will create a parallel institution that will put them out of business. It will be a true indie media news network that is of, by, and for the people. Let's replace them. Do what we do. It doesn't take anything. I don't do any editing. I don't do any soundtracks, nothing. I just sit down with my iPhone and I record uh, an episode on what I'm thinking once a week for a couple of minutes. If you guys can do that like we do, you're going you're gonna to help change the world. So that's, that's my plug. That's what I hope people do. That's PFC. Welcome to Political Fight Club.
0: I want to bring truth to the masses. And I want to create a better world. And I think we need uh, people to, with new ideas and different ideas to sit down and have a conversation and get those ideas out there because the mainstream media and the political system isn't, uh, isn't putting new ideas out there. It's just, you know, crap in, crap out, business as usual.
1: Yes, that you are part of PFC, my friend. <laughs> Welcome to Political Flight Club.
0: All right, man. Rob, it was a pleasure. Thanks for coming on Necessary Illusions. We'll have to catch up again sometime. Have a great night. Thanks for your time.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. We'll do it again sometime.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Necessary Illusions. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my guest, Rob Durden of Political Fight Club. I really appreciated his time tonight, as well as the conversation we had. Check back for more episodes of the podcast. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods. No masters. I'm out.